Welcome to the KPMG Tax Now podcast. In this podcast, we explore some of the more complex matters across tax, economics, regulation, and compliance. Each month, we meet with KPMG's foremost experts and other special guests to unpack key issues faced by taxpayers around the globe. Superannuation is simply calculated as a percentage of salary and wages, right? Well, that's not entirely incorrect, but there are some other considerations. Have you heard about our friend, Ordinary Time Earnings? Hello, my name is Zachary Thomas. I'm a senior consultant in KPMG's employment tax team and I'm looking forward to delving further into the world of superannuation and why it's so important to get it right. With me today are my employment tax colleagues, George Cressy, Senior Manager, and Sam Gathercole, Senior Consultant. We've seen that the Commissioner has had an ever-increasing and substantial focus on employer compliance with superannuation guarantee legislation in recent years, particularly after the amnesty period closing in late 2020. As a result, employers appear a little bit more proactive in getting things right. However, because of the complexity in the modern payroll landscape, we still see superannuation shortfalls occurring. There's also been some recent case law on superannuation guarantee causing some uncertainty around the treatment of annual leave loading. We'll discuss that a little later in the episode. Sam, to start us off, why is it important that employers get superannuation right? That's a really great question, Zach. It is expensive to get wrong. The admin fees are $20 per employee per quarter, interest is 10%, and penalties can be up to 200% of the shortfall. If this isn't bad enough, it's non-deductible and it's calculated on salary and wages, which is a wider base than just OTE. And let's not forget that we're talking about an employee's retirement savings. So that's why it's important to get right. Can you both share some of the common issues that employers face when dealing with superannuation? Absolutely, Zach. So one of the most common areas that we see causing issues with superannuation guarantee compliance is pay code items being incorrectly coded for superannuation within the payroll system. Um, some really common examples of that are annual leave loading, which, as you said, we'll talk about a little bit later on in this episode, fixed car allowances, uh, payments in lieu of notice, and certain condition or skill allowances. Um, now, these are payment types that uh, are commonly not being subject to super within the payroll system, when in fact it's fairly common that they should be. And that's just the pay code mapping. The actual system issues we see problems with as well. For example, the $450 rule being apportioned weekly instead of monthly. We see late changes to SG rate in the system. There are manual overrides by the payroll team. And sometimes we see fixed super amounts for MCB capped employees not updated for the new MCB at the end of the financial year. And um, for anyone who doesn't know what the MCB is, that's the maximum contributions base, which is um, essentially a cap on earnings to which super applies, which is applied on a quarterly basis. Some other areas where we see um, issues with compliance are superannuation guarantee obligations that attach to payments that are outside of the payroll. This is common in the context of sole trader contractors, and these individuals can be caught by an extended definition of employee um, under the superannuation guarantee legislation. Um, this is not particularly well known and is really 
you know, common, common area where we see, we see missteps with employers. And the other one is direct to payments that might be processed through accounts payable that technically can be subject to superannuation guarantee as well. Late payments of super are another area that can cause a shortfall. Um, and you may not be aware that if a payment is made after the quarterly due date, um, even if it is a day late, then you still technically have an obligation to prepare and lodge a superannuation guarantee charge statement. Um, and these late payments uh, can still trigger that obligation even if it's due to your superannuation clearing house having delays in processing the payment. There have been a couple of other changes in the last year or so around processing payroll. Sam, are you able to touch on some of that for us? Absolutely, there's been a fair few changes. So the SG rate is increasing, so it's critical payroll teams are across any manual or hard-coded super amounts in the system. We spoke about the $450 rule earlier, that no longer applies from 1 July 22. Historically, there was no obligation to contribute super where salary and wages were under $450 per month. We've also had super stapling come in. So employers can no longer open up a default fund where an employee doesn't complete a choice form. They are now required to check ATO records to collect employee staple fund information. And then from 1 January 2020, Salary sacrifice amounts can no longer count as employer contributions. So for clarity, you can no longer use the salary sacrifice amounts as employee contributions, and you can no longer use the salary sacrifice amount to reduce OTE. We've also seen some changing ATO commentary on annual leave loading and superannuation, which has caused some confusion. George, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely, Zach. And maybe before we dive into the case, it might be worth a quick refresher on a couple of key concepts, which we've already touched on today. One being our friend, ordinary time earnings, and the other one, salary and wages. So broadly, ordinary time earnings uh, is referring to payments that are made in respect of an employee's ordinary hours of work, subject to some exclusions, of course. But generally, the main carve out is overtime hours. So overtime hours are not considered your ordinary hours of work and not uh, OTE. Salary and wages is a wider concept and it includes most payments that are made to employees. So ordinary time earnings is a subset of salary and wages. The key ruling on ordinary time earnings is a ruling called SGR 2009-2. And that ruling provides that super is payable on annual leave loading unless it can be demonstrably referable to a lost opportunity to work overtime. Now, the ATO website used to say that super wasn't payable on annual leave loading, one source of confusion. And in early 2019, the website was updated to say that annual leave loading will be OTE unless there's written evidence that states the reason for the loading and specifically that it's referable to a lost opportunity to work overtime. Now, the ATO had said that it, it won't scrutinise previous quarters before that change to the website. Uh, if an employer had self-assessed its annual leave loading as not ordinary time earnings, and there was no evidence within the five years prior that suggests the loading was for something else. For this and future quarters, if an employer doesn't include annual leave loading as OTE, 
then you need written evidence, for example, in the relevant industrial instrument or a policy on file to support that position. So now I think we can talk about the Commonwealth Bank case. And the focus of that case was not on the key principle that the annual leave loading was in respect of this lost opportunity to work overtime to be exempt from super. There was something else that was argued in that case. And broadly what it was saying was that the annual leave loading was not paid by reference to an ordinary rate of pay, but instead by its very nature, the loading was paid on top of the ordinary rate of pay since it's being a loading, and that the employee was entitled to receive the loading only during periods of annual leave. Therefore, the loading is not paid by reference to ordinary hours of work. It's instead paid by reference to the period of annual leave, which inherently is not ordinary hours. Basically, what this means is that there's a bit more uncertainty uh, because the court's approach didn't focus on whether the loading was linked to this lost opportunity to work overtime. And that's the approach that the ATO had taken to date in SGR 2009-2 and also on the website. It's important to note that the Commonwealth Bank case was an inferior court decision compared to Blue Scope Steel, which is considered the seminal case on ordinary time earnings. And we're yet to hear from the ATO about its view on what this Commonwealth Bank decision really means. I'll finish with a warning to anyone that's listening that's thinking of applying or relying on this Commonwealth Bank case. You really should proceed with caution because we're still waiting on um, a decision impact statement from the ATO or any guidance from the ATO on their view on how it applies. Well, it's pretty clear that super guarantee is not straightforward and there are likely to be errors. So what should an employer do if they notice an error? Well, of course, reach out to your advisors as this is the sort of thing we do all the time. While you may have identified an underpayment, you might also have overpayments such that there is no need to lodge an SGC statement. However, if you are required to remediate through preparation and lodgement of SGC statements, it's very important that you pay by the due date. I know you've been working on quite a few of these recently, Sam, flavor of the month, if you will. Can you share some of the difficulties employers might face when preparing an SGC statement? It's a very involved piece of work. As part of the remediation process, we often undertake a review of pay codes and their treatment for superannuation purposes. We check whether how they're treated for salary and wages, which is a broader base than OTE, and we need to ascertain how each of the pay elements is treated. We assess this on a quarterly basis, which is different to pay periods. We consider the carry forward of overpayments and also the late payment offset. Payroll, just by its nature, there's a there's a sheer volume of data that's involved in the remediation process. Sometimes other unexpected issues come to the surface. For example, maybe a pay code had its treatment temporarily changed a few years ago. And this is only superannuation guarantee. There can be contractual obligations over and above that may need to be considered. It sounds like there's a lot of work involved in this superannuation remediation. And it's really important to do as your interest payments continue to go up, admin fees apply to each quarter that there's a shortfall and there's an increased chance of the ATO finding an issue before you do such that your penalties are going to be a lot higher. And remember it only takes one employee to ask the ATO a question to trigger an audit. 
Well, I think our listeners can agree that superannuation sure is a complex beast and it is really important to get it right. Thanks to our employment tax guests, George Cressy, Senior Manager, and Sam Gathercole, Senior Consultant. My name is Zachary Thomas, a senior consultant in KPMG's employment tax team. If you'd like to know more, you can have a look on our website or shoot us an email. Thanks for listening to another episode of the KPMG Tax Now podcast. If you'd like to ask a question, please send us an email at kpmgtaxnow at kpmg.com.au. Be sure to subscribe at kpmg.com forward slash au forward slash tax now or follow our LinkedIn page at KPMG Tax Now Insights for regular updates.